Amen and amen, amen. So Psalm 138, we're going to begin in verse number 4. Verse number 4. Psalm 138, verse number 4. The Bible says, All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. This kind of reminds me of that verse whenever Jesus said, we were talking about earlier, that even the rocks will cry out because the rocks know who God is. Amen? And if, if the people weren't worshiping the Lord on that triumphal entry, the rocks would have cried out because he was going to be praised. And this is declaring even all the kings of the earth, when they hear the word of the Lord, they're going to worship him. They're going to praise him. That is a word of declaration. That's a word of prophecy. But there will be a point in time when every king on this earth that rejects God will worship God. Amen. And even, even as we stand today, many people come in opposition to God. We know prophetically that all nations are going to come against Jerusalem, and we're charged to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But we know all nations are going to come against Jerusalem. But we know also there's going to be a day when the millennial reign sets in, and all nations will be worshiping Jesus Christ here on this earth. Amen. Is even with a rod of iron, he will, if they won't bow the knee by faith, Jesus will bow it with the rod of iron. Amen. It's going to be a beautiful time. But all the kings of the earth are going to praise God. Look what it says, though, in verse number five. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Now listen to this. Though the Lord be high, isn't God high? Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. You know what that means? That means even though God is so high above us, so holy, even though God is so beautiful and so magnificent and so glorified, even though all of those things who he respects are those who come to him in a lowly, beggarly manner. God has respect. Uh, you, you remember we, we talked earlier in, in, in the book of Luke whenever Jesus was talking about the parable of the Pharisee and the publican when they went to go praying, amen? They went into the temple to pray. The Pharisee said, God, thank you that I'm not an adulterer. Thank you that I'm not a sinner. Thank you that I'm not like that guy. And I thank you, God, that I'm a tither, amen? And then that publican said, God, be merciful to me beat his chest. He said, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And God declared that guy righteous. Amen? The guy that thought he had it all together didn't have nothing. And the guy who thought he didn't have anything together, he had God's attention. He had God's attention. You want to get God's attention, come in a weak and beggarly manner. Amen? Because God has respect to the lowly. God, I need you. You know, sometimes we get it, we get sideways sometimes, but I remember one time in my life, I was, you ever get in those spots where you feel like your prayers hit the ceiling and they come back down and it just feels like it's not getting through. You know, you just, you feel like you're just on your own. And, and I pulled out the most theological, you know, prayer. I, I just pulled out the deepest prayer I could get out of my heart. I just said, God help. They didn't teach me that in Bible school. God help. And I mean, when that, when, when I finally laid everything down and I came to God and just said, God, I don't have nothing else. I'm just turning to you just in simplicity and totally and completely. God help. I need help. I, you know what? God knows all the reasons why I need help. God knows all the things I'm thinking about. God knows all the things I'm going through. But God just wants us to get to that point where we come in a weak and beggarly manner and say, God, be merciful to me. God, help. Until we're in a position where we're willing to say, God, help, we're helpless. Think about that. We're helpless until we ask God for help. Was as long as we got pride about us, as long as we get that, you know, as long as we stick our nose up in the air and we, do, we just thinking we're all that, God's not going to help us. God's not going to help us, not, not until we get broken down. Not until we get broken down. Watch this. It says, though the Lord be high, he hath respect unto the lowly, but to the proud he knoweth afar 
off. You know what God does? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is the amazing thing about God. God loves those humble people. This is, I believe this is why Jesus picked fishermen. Whenever he was, a, whenever he was choosing his disciples out, I believe he, he picked the most humble people that he could find. Not people that were thinking they were all that and a bag of chips, but he was looking for people that would walk in humility. Amen. You think about the disciples. One of the, one of the greatest testimonies about the New Testament is that the disciples, they showed all their vulnerabilities. You know, uh, it's, you know uh, Peter was the one who dictated to Mark how to write in, in, in the Gospel of Mark. And look at all of the errors that Peter makes. Amen? It takes a humble soul to admit their errors, doesn't it? It takes a humble soul to admit their errors and to let everybody know about it so that everybody else can learn from it. Amen? That takes humility, and that is who God gives grace to. God gives grace to the humble. Well, this humility, this work of humility, is something that attracts God to us, but if you look at the second part of this verse, it says, the proud he knoweth afar off. This is people that think they've got it all together. This is people that think that God is just something they can add to their life. God is not an addition to your life. If you think of God as an addition to your life, you've missed the whole point. He is either Savior of all or not at all. He is Lord of all or not at all. He is not going to share the throne of your life with anything else. If you want to worship Him and something else, it's not going to work out. God said that you cannot serve God and mammon because you're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. Amen? You can't have it both ways. God is looking for us to worship him and him alone. Amen? Heard it said one time, you know, Jesus is not your co-pilot. He's either the pilot or you're still flying the ship. You, that's just the way it is. And, and a lot of times people think of the gospel as just an addition to your life. It's kind of like uh, life insurance. It's kind of like hell insurance, you know. You've got a good life, but if you believe on Jesus, it'll just keep you out of hell. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you got to come to the end of yourself in a humble manner and ask God to save you. And he saves you from the world, from hell, but he also saves you unto himself. He's a jealous God, and he's not going to share you with the world. Amen? And all throughout our life, there are things that will rise up in our life that will try to rival, that will try to rival for the lordship of Christ, but God's not willing, and God's not sharing. Amen? This is why... Whenever Jesus gave the parable of the sower sowing the seed in Mark chapter 4, one of the things, one of the, one of the seeds that was bad was the one that fell on the cares of the world. And he said that's the one where the thorns, it, they rise up, right? It rises up, and what does it do? It chokes out the word of God. When you have other cares, when you have other things that you put before God, it chokes out even the power of God because the, the word of God has to be mixed with faith. It's not an intellectual it's not an intellectual thing. It is actually putting God first and foremost and putting everything else down. Amen? Putting everything else down. And so it says that he, he, he knoweth the proud afar off. That means that God just kind of pushes back on the proud. God, you know, if, if you want to hold on to a semblance of your life, God kind of pushes that back. Look at this next verse, verse 7, though. It says, though I walk in the midst of trouble. Now, this is the person who's humble, the person who's prideful. And let me say this about pride. Um, pride is basically doing what you want, doing things how you want. Um, pride is, well, I know that's what the pastor says, but this is what I think. Pride is, well, I know that's what the Bible says, but, you know, this is what I think. Pride is doing things your own way. Pride, you know, the national anthem of hell? I did it my way, right? Frank Sinatra, I did it my way? No, your way don't work. Your way, is, your way is beneath God. God has a way, and man has a way, and God's way is the right way. Amen? 
And so God is, God is calling on us to stop thinking we know what's best. This is why the word of God has to be the final authority for our life, for all manner of faith and life, for the way that we live, for the way that we worship God, the word of God has to be the final authority. Not what I, you know what I think and what you think really doesn't matter. God's not up there on the throne taking opinions on how, we, how the kingdom should run. God is, God is the king. And we're his servants. Amen? We're his servants. We don't get to tell God how it's going to go. Amen? And so, you know, pride is, is really and truly doing things your own way is saying, you know, God said that we've got to do this, 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 but that's not what I think. I mean, that's kind of extreme, you know. That that's kind of that. I mean, that that's kind of taking it too too far, brother. Ken. Well, you know what? God is the one who wrote this. Amen. Okay, so pride, pride is basically doing things your own way, and God resists the proud. But look what He says about the humble, to the lowly. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the work of thine own hands. Look at the, look at the difference in this. Look at the difference. One, the Lord comes. Even though he's high, he comes to the lowly. But the one who's prideful and does things their own way, who may have idols in front of them before God, God resists them. God rejects them. Amen? And look what he does to the lowly. Even though you come in a lowly manner, the word of God says that the Lord revives me. The Lord revives me. This speaks to many different things. A couple of things. Along the path, along the way of life, along the narrow way, along the pilgrim path, there's going to be times where a saint gets weary. There's going to be times where we hit a dead end. There's going to be times when we feel like we can't go on. There's going to be times that we feel like I've done been through this battle 99 and a half times. I don't got one more half in me. There's going to be times when you come to the end of yourself, when you can no longer do it in your own strength. And that's when you got to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. The Word of God says that if you'll put Him first and come in a lowly manner that God himself will revive you. Amen. This reviving is breathing new life into our weariness. Breathing new life into us when we're broken down, when we're at our end. God will revive us. This, this reviving is the same thing as when we're quickened to life. You know the Bible says that we were dead in sins and trespasses. Amen. But he, he quickens us. Amen. Isn't Jesus the one who quickens souls? Isn't that what the Bible says? Jesus quickens souls. That means he makes it come to life. He's the one who makes it come to life, and he's the one who revives us in our weary states. Amen? I want you to know this morning that when we're in those weary places, when we're in those dry places, the Word of God says that our reviving comes from God. One of the biggest problems that we have in the church is when we go through dry times, we try to find revival in everything else under the sun except for coming back to God in a weak and lowly, dependent manner. Revival, you know, one of the, one of the main passages that we use, uh, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. what does it say? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Isn't that what it says? Humble yourself. That's how we start out. You want to see revival begin? One of the things that we've got to do as a church is we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to come back to God and say, God, we don't have it all together. We, I've never had it together. I don't have it together now. The only time I've ever had it together is when you put it in me. And I need you to put it in me today, God. I need you to revive my weary heart today, God. I need you to breathe new life in me today, God. I need you to stir up my heart today, God. Lord, I need you to revive me. 
And when we come in that weak and in that beggarly manner, God revives our weariness. You see, you're not strong enough. You're not the little engine that could. You're not strong enough to keep on keeping on. You're not the energizer bunny. You need the Spirit of God at work in your life to breathe, to breathe on those coals. Amen? You ever see those? You ever see the fire begin to die out when somebody's got a, a cookout, or you, if you ever build a fire in the fireplace? You know, there's t- there's times that that fire actually needs oxygen. There's times that if it doesn't get that breath, that it's gonna die out. And if you see it just starting to die, and you just breathe a little bit on it, you see that the fire just begin to shoot up a little bit, and you see the sparks begin to fly again. And it's only because you breathed on it. Amen. Well, in the spirit world, you need God to breathe on the flames. You need God to breathe fresh in your soul again. Amen? It comes from God and God alone. You can't get that at the bookstore. You can't get that at a conference. You can't get it on a DVD. It only comes on your knees. It only comes to those that go to God in a lowly manner and say, God, um, I need you. I need you to breathe on me. I need, you to, I need you to fill me with your spirit. Lord, I need you to just continually pour out your spirit upon me, God. I need that reviving in my life. Amen? And God is not, God is not a respecter of persons. If you come to him, you're going to receive him. If you reject him, you won't get him. You put other things in front of him, it don't matter what your last name is. If you put something in front of him, it's, it's not going to work out for you. It's not going to work out for you. Look at all the kings of Israel. Amen? They had a bloodline back to David. They had a bloodline back to David, but so many of them were cut off because they put idols in front of God. They put idols in front of God. They would worship things in the high places, and God rejects that. Amen? God rejects that. Um, Turn with me to James chapter number 4 real quick. James chapter number 4. And, you know, whenever we're talking about God doing a work in us, there's sometimes, you know, we go through these times in our lives when we feel like we're asking God and asking God, it's kind of like God's peace. You know, Jesus said in, in, in the book of John that he said, my peace give I unto you, right? Jesus said that he gave his peace unto us, didn't he? And he also said, give I not as the world gives. Didn't he also say that? But how many Christians do you know possess the peace of God? Jesus said he gave it, and he gave it not like the world gives, because you know the world is an Indian giver. The world has like the carrot on the stick. It's an imitation. It's an imitation. The peace of the world is an imitation of God's peace. And listen, so many Christians don't possess what Jesus has given them. So many Christians don't possess what Jesus has given them. I just read you this this passage about reviving. So So many Christians walk around and they don't have the fire of God in their belly. They don't have the spirit of God rising up on the inside. They don't have their voice lifted up like a trumpet. You know God created you for more than just to get by. God created you for more than just to go to work and punch in a clock. God created you to be used for his kingdom. God wants to use you for his work. You see, when you think of things in, in earthly manner, it's all about clocking in and clocking out and how building your own house, building your own kingdom, building your own network of friends, building your own influence. But when you are truly vested in the kingdom of God, you, you give yourself to him. Every relationship you have, every encounter that you make, every, everything that you do is in an effort for his kingdom. Amen? For his kingdom. A lot of times, though, Christians, you know, I say Christians, but I, and I mean it. A lot of times, believers, true believers, true believers do not possess the peace of God, even though Jesus gave it. And I want to share with you a couple of reasons why this morning. I want to share with you a couple of reasons why. But it all really boils down to 
we actually just won't do what God asks us to do. If we do what God asks us to do, God will be more than ready to pour out from heaven his spirit upon us. God will revive the weary if you'll go to him. God is, God is not growing gray hairs. He's not on retirement. He hadn't hit the snooze button. He's not taking a nap. He's just as ready and willing and able to set the church of God on fire in America as he have, ever has been. But the problem the problem's not on God's end. Amen? Yeah, I've never walked through a hard time in my life and said, God, this is your fault. Because, you know, I, I may not know everything, but I know one thing, it's usually my fault. Marriage taught us that too, right? It's the husbands. It's our fault. But, you know, that's the reality of the matter is God, is God is ready, willing, and able to pour out his spirit if we're ready to ask him. If we're ready to come to the end of ourselves, if we're ready to stop playing and get serious. And I want you to know, sometimes we need a reset. Sometimes we need to say, you know what? I have been going a little bit too far with this. I have been just going through the motions. I've been trying to, you know, keep up a form of religion, but I've been denying the power thereof. I've just been going through the motions, but I don't have the power anymore. And I want you to know, God loves you more than to make you go through the motions. God wants to actually come in your life and breathe on your bones again and revive your spirit this morning. But look what it says in James chapter number four. Now, now you remember James, one of the most popular passages in James is the double-minded man, right? In James 1, it says that the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So whenever he was writing this, he was writing it to someone who who is kind of wishy-washy. You know somebody who's wishy-washy? Don't look to the left or to the right. Just say, yeah, that's me. Somebody who's wishy-washy. It's so a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. And he says, let not that man think you'll receive anything from the Lord. You, you, you ask God, you ask God, and you ask God, but if you're double-minded, if you're wishy-washy, if you've got one foot, you know, planted towards God's kingdom and one foot in your kingdom, God said, don't, don't even bother asking. Let not that man think he's going to receive anything from God. Why isn't God answering my prayer? Why isn't this? Why isn't that? Get your foot out of your kingdom and get it back over there in God's kingdom and watch what God will do. Look in verse number 1 of chapter 4, though. It says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members. You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You know what that's like when you desire something and you just can't get it? Amen? Have you ever been through a circumstance in your life where you desired something of God, but you just couldn't get it? it just It just seems like it's just never going to happen for you. Amen? It says, you lust, you have not, you kill, desire to have, cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not, because you ask not. And if you're like me, you're like, well, I have been asking. I have been asking, though. But just carry on. That's why you can't stop right there. It says... You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. It's because you hadn't asked right. In other words, you hadn't asked with the right heart. You might have been using the right words, but you hadn't had the right heart. You, you might have been using the right, you might have said, God, I need you, but you didn't mean it is what he's saying. You might have been saying, God, I need some help right now, but you weren't, you weren't willing to walk away from the problem. Amen. Sometimes you got to be ready to get sick and tired of being sick and tired of the problem. You know, one of my one of those one of those good movies um, was uh, Fireproof, and um, it was a marriage, and and this guy had an issue with pornography, and he just couldn't win the battle, and he find and his wife, I think they separated or something, but anyways, he finally got tired of losing the battle. Amen. He got sick and tired of being sick and tired, and he was tired of losing the battle. And you know what he did? 
He took his computer outside and he took a baseball bat to it and he beat it down. Amen? You know what? Sometimes you've got to take things out of your life that you are beginning to put above God. You've got to do what... Listen to this, please. There is nothing more important in your life than the Lord Jesus Christ. And anything that you put above him is an idol and God is jealous and he will not share the throne. So if we want to put things above God, God will take a step back. I showed you Psalm 138. It says that God stands afar off from the proud. You want to do things your way? You want to put idols in front of God? God will stand afar off and say, well, go, go right ahead, big boy. Go right ahead. And then we wonder, where's God? Where is God at? Look at this. It says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. You adulterers, adulteresses, no, now this is not a popular verse, right? Nobody really has this one on their fridge. Nobody, but listen, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. God is not playing. God is not playing. The, the things of the world and the things of God are two completely different things. The world is in opposition to God. The world is in opposition to God. If you want worldly fame and worldly good and you, you want, you know, worldly things, look, God's not about that. God is not about that. First John chapter 2, same thing. Um, but look what it, let's finish this out. It says, though you know the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world, come on, is the enemy of God. You want to be a friend of the world? You're an enemy of God. What? You know why? Because God is in the business of reconciling the world, not being friends with the world. God wants to redeem the world, not, not be friends with the world. Amen? God doesn't play patty cake with the world. God, God sent Jesus to save the world. And so whenever we kind of get those things crossed, we set ourselves at enmity with God. And then we wonder why God's not moving in our life. Amen? We wonder why God's not moving in our life when we have set ourselves in opposition to God because we're so consumed with worldly things. Now, what are the worldly things? The cares of the world. What are the cares of the world? Every worldly thing that we see. Lust of the eyes, lust of flesh, and pride of life, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Those are the things of the world, it says in 1 John. So the things that we see, the things that we feel, and then the pride of life. Those are things that are in opposition to God. Whenever we put value on those things and not on God, we've got our priorities out of whack. And if there's one thing we could probably say about the church in America, it's that our priorities are out of whack. It, so many people go to church to get something from God. Amen? Instead of going to church and giving something to God. And I'm not talking about your wallet. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about your mind. God would rather have that. God would rather have you than your wallet any day of the week. Listen, you, God doesn't need your wallet. I know that this is not popularly preached anymore, but God don't need your money. God don't need your money. God would rather you be obedient than that you bring a sacrifice. Amen? God would rather you be obedient than bring a sacrifice. Some people say, well, I, you know what? I don't live for God, but I'm going to tip him on Sunday. God don't want your money. God owns everything. God owns everything. He wants your heart. He wants you. He wants your love. He wants your surrender. He wants you to come lowly. He doesn't want to have to break you down. He doesn't want to charge you a weekly fee. He wants you to come because you love him, because he's worthy. He wants you to come because you've seen the beauty of Jesus. He wants you to come because you've seen that glory at his feet. Amen? That you see that's where you belong. Amen? 
like the woman with the, the alabaster box. I just came to break this on your feet to tell you that I love you, to tell you that you're worthy of all that I have. You're worthy of all that I am. I just want you to know one more time that I want to lavish my praise on you because you're the king. But when, when, when we don't come to God like that, we set ourselves at enmity against God. Because if we're, listen to this. I'm going to show you this in a little bit. If, if we are not actively pursuing God, we're pursuing the world. It does, you, there is no middle ground. And if you're pursuing after the world, there's a hunger in you that will never be satisfied. You talk to anybody that's a multimillionaire, all they want is more money. All, you talk to anybody that, that's not saved, that doesn't, all they want to do is more. Because it's, a, it's a, a, a hunger that is never satisfied. But the Bible says, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Amen? I'm going to show you that. Just hold on to that thought. Listen to this, though. Um, finishing this out do you think that the scripture says in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusts to envy what you, you remember in galatians it says that the the the, the spirit and the flesh they're at war with one another they lusteth against one another. The, the spirit of God inside the believer and the flesh are at continual war. And this day, wherever, whatever's going on in your life, this day, one of the two is winning. One of the two is winning. If you're going through the motions, your flesh is winning. If you're going through the, the religious motions, your flesh is winning. If there's no power of God in your life, the flesh is winning. If it's been a long, long time since you've gone to God and said, Lord, fill me up again, the flesh is winning. See, the flesh doesn't want to go to God on its knees. The flesh don't want to lavish praise on God. The flesh is looking at its watch while everybody else is worshiping. The flesh is wondering, when is that preacher going to be quiet? The flesh is always ready to check in and check out. Amen? But the Spirit wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. The Spirit wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. The Spirit says, ah, oh, I'm home. The Spirit of God wants to worship him and lavish praise on him. Amen? The Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God and the flesh are at war one with the other. So we've got a flesh and a spirit battle. And just continuing it, verse number 6, it says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, if, if we will just humble ourselves and say, God, I need some help today. God is ready, willing, and able to meet our need. And that need will never be met until we break down and ask him. God actively resists the proud. God actively resists the proud. Say, well, I'll never go down there to that altar and ask for prayer. I'll never raise my hand and I'll never lift my voice and worship. I will never get on my knees and ask God for help. Well, you know what? God resists the proud. It says God knows afar off those proud ones those that come high and lifted. Let me show you something in Proverbs chapter number 19 real quick. Proverbs chapter number 19. I told you over there, this is a corresponding passage, but I told you over there that those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Now I want you to get this. Proverbs chapter number 19. And we're going to read verse number 15. It says, Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Now listen to this. The soul who pursues not after God will always, always 
suffer hunger perpetually. If you're not hungering after God, you're going to hunger after something and you're never going to be satisfied. If you're not hungering and thirsting after the righteousness of God, which is found in Jesus, you will always be going after something that will never satisfy the soul. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep. You know what slothfulness is? Slothfulness is when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Slothfulness is when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, so many people are slothful in their walk with the Lord. Slothfulness puts you in a deep sleep. I know I should be doing this. I know I should be doing that. I know I should be doing this. And what happens is it shows that we're careless in our walk with God. It shows that we have not prioritized God. And God, like I said, is not going to share the throne of our life with the things we put above him. So many times, we, you know, that if you allow the enemy to flood your mind whenever you go to pray, if you will, you know, how many of you have ever got down and you started praying and the enemy said, oh, yeah, remember that bill you were supposed to pay? That, that one, it's not due till next year, but you said you was going to pay it today. Oh, yeah, yeah, let me get up and pay it. And then you get down to pray again, and you're like, oh, wait, I forgot to check Facebook. And then you, you get up, and you go, and then you get down to pray again, and you say, oh, wait, I, I told so-and-so I was going to call. You know, the enemy is flooding your mind. The enemy is flooding your mind, keeping you from where you're going to draw your power from. Because if the enemy can keep you from your prayer closet, he can keep you at bay. If he can keep you from your prayer closet, he can keep you at bay. And if he can keep you from your word, he's going to keep you ignorant. Your power comes from prayer and knowledge comes from the word of God. Amen? And listen to this. Listen to this, though. It says idleness. Idleness. You see that word? It says idle. How many of y'all ever had a car that idled really loud, right? It's kind of when you stop when you're not going forward and you're not going backward, that idle gear just kind of, oh, idle. Hey, I believe this is a great, a great type of where the church is today. The church is stuck in idle, and it's idling very high. Amen. The church is going, ah, oh, we're, we're too busy doing this, that, and the other, and we're not going forward in God. Well, you're not going forward in God no more, and it means that we're stuck in idle. Amen? If we're not going the way God wants us to go, we're in idle. And, and listen to this. The, the, the problem with being an idol, the problem with being in an idol soul is that there's no middle ground with God. There's no middle ground. There really is no idol. If, if you're an idol, you're in a rut. If you're an idol, you're in a rut. And I remember Sister Marty said, a rut, all a rut is is a grave with the both ends kicked out, right? It's just, that's all a rut is. It means that you're stuck. And if you're, if you're in a position right now where you're not moving forward in God, you truly are in a rut. And I want you to know this. You can't get out in your own strength. You can't get out in your own strength. That's why I led you out with Psalm 138, because you need God to revive you. I just want you to see by the Spirit of the Lord this morning that if you're in a rut, you need help. If you're in a rut, you need help. If you've been going through the motions, you need help. And look, and, and it's a beautiful passage because the, God resists the proud. So if you're over there going, well, I'm not in a rut. I've never been in a rut. you in a bad rut because you don't even know it. How many of you ever been so stuck you didn't even know you were stuck? Amen. you just stuck, stuck, stuck. So I got it all together. No, you, you got it worse right now. You got it really bad. But there is no middle ground. And you know one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit come to what? Did the Holy Spirit come to give you the heebie-jeebies and the goosebumps? No, the Holy Spirit came to empower you, right? And the Holy Spirit came to lead you into all truth. And the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin. Amen? Convict the world of sin. And when there's things in our life that we have put in front of God, the Holy Spirit will take that magnifying glass and say, Son, daughter, this has got to go. This has got to go. You've done exalted something above me. 
It could be something so simple as golf or uh, uh, sometimes, you know, whenever people are, are young and dating, they'll put, they'll put a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse in front of God. Some people put their kids in front of God. Amen. Oh, Johnny's got baseball practice. We can't make it to church. Johnny's got football practice. We can't make it to church. You know what? There's going to be a day. There's going to be a day when you need God. And you're going to have to, you're going to, have to break down some idols. You're going to have to throw them down because God's not going to share that throne. Amen? You're going to have to cast those things down. Because God's not going to allow you to just continually worship in idols and then think everything's hunky-dory with him. Amen? The world, and, the world and God are at enmity. Which side are we on? Which side are we on? Um, it says that slothfulness cast into a deep sleep. Listen to this. Listen to this. How many of y'all remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Amen. Sodom and Gomorrah. How many of y'all remember? Now, Sodom and Gomorrah, that's like, that's like you know, a, a type of God pulling the church out, right, before destruction comes. Amen. Hallelujah. But listen to this. Listen to this. Whenever God brought Lot and his family out, he also brought Lot's wife out too. Listen, listen, listen. God brought Lot's wife out. He delivered her from destruction. Some people in, in, in listening right now, God has delivered you from destruction. But she had a moment in time. God said, don't look back. Don't look back. If God has delivered you from your past, keep walking. If God has delivered you from your past, keep walking forward. Her greatest mistake was when she stopped walking. She just stopped walking, and then she's in the valley of decision. Amen? She's in the valley of decision. She's got deliverance in front of her and the world behind her, and she's in the valley of decision. She's been brought out of, out of sin, out of destruction, and God's blessing and God's promises are in front of her, but then... She just looks back to the past. And I want you to know this morning, if you look back to your past, if you go back to what God has brought you out of, you're going to get stuck. You're going to get put right back in idol. You're going to get, now I'm not saying God will turn you into a pillar of salt, but he might do it, he might, he might do it in a type and a figure. You might get stuck. You might get so stuck that you may not ever get out of it either. You, if, if, you, if you turn back to the same thing that God brought you out of, God don't take too kind of that. Whenever God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt and they started bickering because they all they had was manna, all they had was quail, all they had was water. Whenever Moses would hit their rock, they didn't have all the, all the good food that they used to have when they were slaves. And they started longing. They started longing for the way it was in their past. You know, well, I, I think I can manage it now. Now that I know what God's deliverance is like, I think I can go back there and, you know, kind of socially drink now. I think I can go back and kind of socialize with the world again. You know what? When that, when that desire rose up on the inside, when that desire rose up on the inside, God said, mm-mm, you're going to die in this desert. You're going to die in this desert. I brought you out, but you're not going in. I brought you out, but you're not going in. And that's a word of warning to the church. That's a word of warning to the church. We have got to move forward in God. We cannot allow the prosperity of the world to be put in front of our eyes and to go after it. The world and God are in enmity with one with the other. Amen. God is, I, I believe this, God is tired of the church building palaces. He's ready for the church to build the kingdom. We're building denominations and we're not building the kingdom of God. Instead of, instead of making disciples, we're making, we're making beautiful buildings with, with lights, cameras, and actions. You know, God is not about the theatrical production. You say, oh, Holy Spirit can't come because the fog machine went out this morning. You know you got a problem. 
So it says slothfulness cast into a deep sleep. And you know, whenever you get into a place where you're slothful in your walk with God, you know, when you're slothful in your walk with God, it's, it's just like sleepwalking. Nothing really interests you anymore. And there's no greater danger for a Christian to be in whenever you're not hungering and thirsting after God anymore. I remember D.L. Moody, he said that um, the greatest indicator, the greatest indicator about your walk with God is how much you desire to get in his word. If, if, if you treat the word of God like some castor oil, you know, like, oh, man, I got I to gotta get a sip of it down, you know. Oh. If you treat the word of God like that, it's a serious indication that your heart is not where it's supposed to be. Amen. Now, it does show that you know you need the Word of God, but a heart that's on fire cannot consume. It's just more. I want more and more and more of the Word of God. It's just hungering and thirsting after God and His righteousness. Understand that the Word of God is how God reveals Himself to you. The Word of God is how God reveals Himself to you. You want to know more about God? You need to get in His Word. Amen? And a soul that is hungering after God is a soul that will be nose to the book. God revives. God revives. God breathes on our weariness. And God revives us when we're in those weary, weary states. Um, let's go over to uh, James chapter 4 again. Let's go back over there to James chapter 4. Praise the Lord. It's a beautiful thing about this, though. Beautiful thing about this. In verse number seven, I'm just going to read these two verses, right? Seven and eight. So James chapter four, verse seven. Now, and the reason why I wanted to break it up this way is because I want you to see everything in front of this in James chapter 4, everything in front of it is saying, you know why things aren't working in your life? You know why things aren't working in your life? It's because you got an idol up in there. It's because you're desiring things that aren't of God. Don't, don't you know that friendship with the world sets you at enmity with God? Don't you know that God's not going to share the throne? Don't you know these things? This is why things aren't working in your life. Amen? And he says all that to come down into verse number 7. And he says, because of this, because of this, look what he says in verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You know what? It, look, today... Today is a new day. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. Yesterday, you can't change. You can't even change what you did on the way to church today. Can't change it. You can't even change the fact that you didn't pray this morning. Can't change it. You know what you can change? This moment. This moment. If you hear the Spirit of God saying, you know what? I need to breathe on you. You hear the Spirit of God saying, you know what? Aren't you tired of going through the motions? I'm right here. I'm right here. If you'll let go and let God, I got you. If you'll let go and let God, I got you, right? And so it says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You want to you, you wanna stop going through the motions? You want to see the fire of God rise back up inside you? Do you want to be excited for God again? Submit yourself to God. You know what that means? You know what submission is? God, here I am. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Here I am, God. I just submit myself to you. Uh, if you want me to stay here the rest of the day, I'm here. You want me to... Put everything else to the side. I, I put it all to the side. I'm submitting myself to you, God. Submitting myself to you, God. Submission is a beautiful thing. Submission is a beautiful thing. You know that there's a difference between submission and obedience? 
Do you know that you can obey and grit your teeth at the same time? Tell my kid to clean their room, right? They don't clean their room, get my belt, right? I don't know. Get my belt out. Say, I said clean your room. And you know what? They might obey, but they're going to grit their teeth while they do it, right? I'm tired of cleaning my room, whatever. But you know what? The heart's not submitted. The heart's not submitted. And see, this is how God is. God wants to see us submit to him. That means give our heart to him. That way our desires are his desires. We're not trying to get him to bend after our desires. We're turning our heart to his way. Amen? We're turning our heart to his way. This is what it means to submit yourself to God. It means to put your heart at his feet. Say, okay, God, here I am, all of me, all of me. One more time. I'm putting it all on the line right here, God. Putting it all on the line right here, God. And when we submit ourselves to God, we find ourselves where God has always wanted us to be. This is why God resists the proud. God resists the proud not because he hates them, but because this is how you access God. You don't access God on your own way and on your own strength and because your own goodness. You only access God through what Jesus did, and you can only access that by submitting to his work on the cross. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. This is the step that God wants the church to take. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, and look at the second part of this. Everybody says, ah, the, the, you know what, the old, old devil, he's just whooping me, whooping me, whooping me. Well, you know what, I'm sorry, but the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. There is no temptation that can overtake you that God hasn't provided you a means over. Amen. God has made you more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen. God has made you more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You see, Ah, the devil, he's after me, he's after me. Look, all you got to do is resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's all. I, I, and I'm not one of those big ones that's, you know, yeah, let's have a party and kick him while he's... No, don't, don't, you know, speak more than you need to than the Bible says. But the word of God says, if you resist the devil, he will flee. He will flee. But you know why? You know what, you know what we do, though? We entertain those thoughts. The Bible says that we're, still, we're supposed to take captive every thought, right, that exalts itself against the glory of God and bring it into captivity to Jesus Christ. And when we don't take those thoughts captive, right, well, I guess one drink won't hurt. Well, I guess one look at that won't hurt. Well, I guess I don't have to go to church today. I guess I don't have to get in my word today. I guess, you know what, it's really important for me to go to this fishing tournament. God knows, God knows my heart, right? Oh, yeah, God knows your heart, and that should scare you. God knows your heart more than you do. The Bible says that your heart is deceitfully wicked. Yeah, yeah God knows your heart. That should scare you. Some people say, you know, I've heard people say that before. They're like um, talking about the church, right? You're not my judge. God is my judge. That should scare you. That should scare you. You shouldn't be boasting in your sin saying, don't judge me. God's my judge. Oh, yeah, he will judge all of us. You better be under the blood on that day. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now here's one of the things about here's one of the things about the enemy, right? Here's one of the things we want to know about the enemy is this. He's always, always, always gonna come after you. Now to the time that we leave this earth, he's always gonna come after us. Here's the thing about the enemy though. Resist. Resist. And he'll flee. That's it. Say, so you know what? Uh, whenever Whenever things present themselves to you and they're in direct opposition to God, resist those things. Temptation will break. Temptation will break. All you've got to do is resist. If you'll resist, the power of God will come along beside your resisting and break the power of the temptation. Let me say that again. 
if you'll resist, the power of God will come along beside your resistance and will break the power of the temptation. But you, you, your job is to resist. You can't just, you know, belly flop on it. And say, oh, resist. Resist and God will strengthen you. Say, I just can't stop doing this. I can't stop doing that. Resist in the name of Jesus. And that thing will break. It has no power over you. You're a child of the king. You're a child of God. Like I said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And beautiful, beautiful verse number eight, right? Beautiful verse number eight. Draw nigh unto God. You know what he'll do? He'll draw nigh unto you. But listen, listen, this is how you draw. Everybody always stops, and I've done that before too. I've always just stop right there, right? You draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. But this is how you draw near to God, by cleansing your hands. What have you put your hands to that's sin? You, yeah, I want to draw near to God, but keep your hand bloody, all right? Say, so you want to draw near to God, cleanse your hand. Cleanse your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is, you know, whenever James started out in, in James chapter 1, that's who he was writing about, the double-minded. The double-minded person, he said, is unstable in all his ways. It's wishy-washy. A double-minded person is wishy-washy. He's trying to live for God and live for the world, and God won't share that. God won't honor that. God won't bless that. And I believe that's why the church of God is, is, you know, on, you know, CPR right now. I believe that's why the church of God, why you don't see power, why, that's why you don't see the power of God on many people's lives. Because if you, if you are double-minded, God's not going to bless that. It says, let not that man think he'll get anything from God. But if, you'll, if you will cleanse your hands and purify your mind, purify your mind, then God will draw near to you. God will draw near to you. And today, you know, one of the, one of the problems that we have is that, you know, we give ourselves to everything under the sun except for God. We give God our second best. Some of us give God our third best. Some of us give God our tenth best. Some of us give God the leftovers, you know, after we've, got, after we've given the best of ourselves to everybody else. And I, you know what? I don't, uh, you know, whenever, whenever you're talking about this right here, I want you to understand this. God and so many ministers would say, you know what? Whenever you go to pray, you know, don't make it the last thing you do. It, make it the first thing you do. Make it the first thing you do. And I've, I've even heard ministers say this, is, you know, give, um, give God the best of your day, like that time of your day when you're the most awake, when you're the most alert, that's the time you need to carve out and give it to God. You know, some of us are the most awake at 2 in the afternoon or whatever. But he said, just, you know, give God your best. Don't give God the leftovers. So many times we give, our, we give ourselves to our you know, children, our grandchildren, our jobs. We give ourselves to our buddies. We give ourselves to, you know, our neighbors. We, if somebody needs us to rake their yard. We're going to go over there and rake the yard, right? But we don't give ourselves to God. And that's the problem. We're not giving our best to God. And you know what? God knows. God knows when he's important and God knows when he's not. And you might say, well, I'm raking those leaves for my neighbor because I love God. Well, okay, but you've got to put God first. You've got to put God first. You can't just do it in word or deed. So many times people think that they can buy God off because of their good deeds. You can't do that. That's what I was talking about, sacrifice and obedience. Sacrifice and obedience. God would rather us be obedient. God would rather us be obedient than bring sacrifice. I remember in my life, you know, um, whenever I was younger, some people in my family weren't living right 
weren't living right at all, had no passion for God, no desire for God. But you know what? They didn't want to go to hell, right? No desire for God, no passion for God, no love for God, but just didn't want to go to hell. And so you know what? You know what religion amounted to for us? Go to church so we can put the $20 in the plate and tip God. This was bringing God a sacrifice of money instead of a sacrifice of a heart. God would rather have your heart. God would rather you have come to him and humble yourself. Humble yourself. Uh, you know, which, which one would God rather have, your wallet or your heart? And, and I'm only using wallet symbolically, but some people think, you know what, well, I serve on the mission team, or I serve on the greeter team, or I serve on the outreach team, or I, I serve on the nursery team, I serve in children's church. Yeah, that's great, but if you're not ministering to God, it's worthless. If you're not ministering to God, it's worthless. What I mean by ministering to God, giving him your heart, giving him your soul, giving him your love, giving him your affection, making him first, putting no idols before him. Amen? And if you'll draw near to God like that, the Bible says in reciprocal, God will draw near to you. But if you continue to do things on your own, God will continue to resist the proud. This morning, if you want God to revive you, what you've got to do is come to him in humility. Come to him in humility, and he'll receive you. Come to God in humility, and he will revive you, according to Psalm 138. Amen? Amen. Father, we just bless you this morning, and we thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that, that you're merciful.